0: We're in a season, theology for everyone, because theology is for? Everyone. Come on, we're in a season of theology for everyone, because theology is for? Everyone. For you, it's for me, it's for everyone in between. Theology is not reserved for pastors, professors, and European theologians from the 1800s. That is the stereotype. Theology is for everyone. You, ha- you are living theological, whether you believe it or not, whether you understand it or not. In fact, all of last week, we walked through how do we form theology, experience, influence, scripture, and how does that trickle down to what I believe, what my heart aligns with, and how I practice my actions. This week, our theology for the week is salvation. Salvation. Now, I was really tempted to combine because obviously salvation is through Jesus, but we're going to have two. We're going to have a theology of salvation and a theology of Jesus, what we believe about Jesus. Okay, so this week is a theology of salvation. Let me read to you a doctrinal statement of sorts of what we believe about salvation. Let, Let me clarify this really quick. This season is, number one, it's not exhaustive by any means, okay? So this is not everything there is to know about salvation. This is a great building block, a great foundation for you to get started in your theology of salvation. The other thing is, it's not an apologetic. I'm not defending salvation by any means. I'm just purely giving you, and obviously I defend salvation, but I'm not giving you the arguments to defend salvation. I am giving you the doctrinal clarity of what it means to be saved, okay? Here's our statement. We believe in salvation through faith, by grace, in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead on the third day as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of man. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given new life in Christ and reconciled to the Father. Uh, If you have sermon notes, I think that's in your sermon notes. If not, if you want it, we'll we'll put it somewhere where it's accessible. It's accessible on sermon notes. Go to sermon notes. Um, Here here are some scriptures I want to read to you where we, we build that theological statement from. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. It says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. I love this. This is first importance. One of the most important things. What is of first importance? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 1 John 2.2. two says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only ours, not only for ours, but also for the sins of of the world Romans 8 verse 11 says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead that's really important to understand God didn't raise Jesus from the dead God by the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead there's a triune operation happening there God by the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead it is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you He will give life to your bodies in the same way. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is the, the foundational scriptures for where we get this statement. We believe in salvation through faith, by grace, in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead on the third day as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of man. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given new life in Christ and reconciled to the Father." Here's something I think is really important for us to wrap our minds around when we talk about salvation. Salvation is not symbolic. Salva- salvation is not metaphorical. Salvation is the real saving of your life. It is the real saving of my life. Uh, my, uh, in our backyard, we have a, a little, a, a stock tank pool, okay? Um, don't knock it till you've tried it. And it's two feet tall, 10 feet round, got a pump on it, it's a really cool little setup, and my kids love to swim in it, and my 18, 19, what is he, something like that? I don't know, he's the third, he's, he's something before two. Um, he, was, he was in our backyard, and he's too small to, to get in there, right? So we're just, Anna's there, she's hanging out, and talking on her phone, and, and talking, to my mom was there, and, and the kids were swimming in the pool, and he usually just runs around the outside and throws stuff into him, right? It's a really cute thing, and then all of a sudden, He found uh, one of the little jets and he stepped on it and he front flipped over into the pool. It happened like that. Anna didn't even see it and all of a sudden my son who was in the water, he was swimming, he was under the water with goggles on, he said all of a sudden I saw my brother Zadok splash into the water and I saw his face looking at my, talk about an angelic move of God to to save our our son, right? So he, he said I saw my brother and so I grabbed him and he came up out of the water and he lifted him up and he said, Zadok, what are you doing? And Anna heard that and we realized what had happened that he actually went into the pool. He fell into the pool and Canaan saved his life. We talk about it all the time now as a family. Canaan Well, walk around, if you hear him walking around saying, I saved my brother's life, he's not lying, that's true. He really saved his brother's life. Had he not been in the water with the goggles on in the perfect spot and saw his brother fall into there, we would be mourning the loss of a child, but he saved his life. Intense, right? When we talk about salvation, we're not talking about a metaphor, We're not talking about something symbolic. We are talking about God reaching down through Jesus, atoning for the sins in our life, giving us a hope and a future and raising that to life by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be saved. When I say I am saved, when I say I have been redeemed and saved by the Lord, I'm not talking about metal. I'm talking about real life. You have been rescued I have been rescued. We have been saved. And we've been saved by a savior who saw us sinking, reached his arms under armpits, lifted us out, and said, you don't have to drown in this. We have to understand that, that this is real life. Okay, I gave you the structure last week. Here's how we're gonna walk through this. We have orthodoxy, which is the right belief, That's where we're gonna spend a lot of time today. Then we have orthopathy, which is the right heart, orthopraxy, which is the right actions, right? And if we're going to live theological, we have to have these three things nailed down. Number one, I have to have the right belief about salvation. I have to know what I believe about salvation. Number two, I have to have the right heart because salvation has saved me and rescued me. My heart has to be in tune with the Lord. And then because of that, I have to have the right actions. I have to live out my salvation so I can live theologically. All right, so let's jump into first orthodoxy, the right belief. There are three words um, and I'll simplify it for you, but these are three words if you were to read a systematic theology textbook they're going to give you about salvation. Here they are. It's justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification means I'm saved from the penalty of sin. There is a penalty for the sin in my life and I have been justified with Christ. I am saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is I'm being saved from the power of sin. I am growing to be more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, study of scripture, community, walking with God, that I am being sanctified to be like Christ. I'm being freed from the power of sin and then glorification is I will be saved from the presence of sin. There will be a day where we will be rescued and we will be pulled up to be with the Lord and we will be saved from the presence of sin when we are glorified. So here's here's an easy way to put it, right? Remember, we have an integrated simplicity in who we are. We are not simple people, we have an integrated simplicity. Here's the simplicity. I I have been saved. I'm being saved and I will be saved. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. The New Testament Greek verb soteria, which is where we get soteriology, which is the theology of salvation, it's where the word is translated salvation, it can be used and it is used in scripture in past tense, present tense, and future tense, okay? Let me give you all three of them. When we're talking past tense, justification, freed from the penalty of my sin, Jesus said to the sinful woman in Luke seven, verse 50, and Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. In other words, you were a sinful woman that came into my presence, but your faith has saved you from everything that you were ashamed of that you came to me with. It says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Galatians two sixteen. Paul says, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have to put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not the works of the law because the works of the law, no one will be justified. So the moment we trust in Christ, right? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The moment we do that, the penalty of our sin Our past has been wiped clean by the blood of Jesus. We have been forgiven. We have been set free from that penalty. He is the atoning sacrifice for our past. Now, let's move to present. Sanctification. I'm freed from the power of sin. John 17, 17 17-19. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake... I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified by the truth. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, that is a present tense, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Listen in Philippians two twelve. Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now so much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He is saying, in other words, there is a process in your salvation that is happening, right? You have been saved, justified from the penalty of sin. Now you are being saved from the power of sin through the process of sanctification. When you combine these, your theology of salvation gets really screwed up. Because all of a sudden, you're like, well, I saw somebody make a decision for Jesus, and then I saw them taking body shots at shenanigans, and I don't know, you know, are they really a Christian? Or are they really not? Or what? I'd say, yeah, they're a Christian who needs to get sanctified, right? They're following Jesus, but they're rebelling in their life. They're a Christian who's been justified. They haven't been sanctified yet. There is a sanctification that needs to take place. They have to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, and then we finish here with future. Glorification. We are freed from the presence of sin. Hebrews 9 verse 28 says, so also Christ was offered once for all as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. Not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for for him in other words it's the already not yet paradox that we've talked about many times right I am I have been saved I'm being saved and I will be saved I've been freed from the penalty I'm getting free from the power and one day I will be free from the presence justification sanctification glorification second Peter 1 verse 3 through 4 Let's wrap all of this up in a, our orthodoxy in a form of an illustration. I ordered something the other day off the internet. It says everybody, right? And it arrived and it was missing a part when I went to put it together. And so I called customer service and I said, hey, it arrived and I am missing a really important part to make this go together. And literally the first thing they said was, okay, uh, order number, last name, email, and date the order was placed. And so I tell them my, you know, last name, my email, the order number, and the date it was placed. And, I, and they said, what's the problem? And I said, it's missing a part. And they said, ah, oh, we got we got to transfer you to missing parts. Here, let me, hold on. So they transfer me to missing parts. Missing parts picks up. Says, Hey, it's missing parts. I said, hey, I <laughs> have a missing part. And they said, last name, email, order number, date the order was placed. So I tell them, they say, oh man, this this part is backordered. I got to send you to backordered parts. Hang on one second. They send me to backordered parts. Five minutes later, backordered parts picks up. What do you think the first thing they said was? (laughs) Last name, email, order number, date the order was placed. I tell them everything. I'm growing in frustration right now. Enter Enneagram 8, right? I'm like, all right. I'm getting annoyed here. And so I tell them, and they said, oh man, it's not back order, it's out of stock. We're just gonna have to refund you. Hang on, I'm gonna transfer you to refunds. Send me to refunds. Refunds picks up. What do you think the first thing they asked me was? Last name, email, order number, date of purchase. I said, why don't you ask the past three that just asked me the same question? (laughs) Such a jerk, right? (laughs) And they said to me, sir, we're so sorry. We have no way of going back and doing that. We have no way of pulling past records. We have no way of transferring that from one place to another. You just have to keep telling us. Aren't you thankful Jesus has a way of going back? Jesus has a way of going back into our past and the sins and shame and mess that we have made. And he has a way of freeing us from the penalty that we deserve. But not only does he go back, he meets us in the present to free us from the power that is continually attacking us. And one day we will be with him, freed from the presence of it. That is our orthodoxy. That is what we believe about salvation, that we have been freed from our past, redeemed and saved, that we are free now to become a person that lives by the power of the Holy Spirit so that in our future, we will be in glory with him. Here's what that means. Your past can't hold you back. Your presence can't hold you back. And there's incredible things that await you in the future. Hey, There you go. Your past cannot hold you back. Your present is filled with power. And there are incredible things that await you in your future because we have been justified, we're being sanctified, and we will be glorified with Christ. What does that do to my heart? How does that impact my orthopathy? What's happening right here? I love these two scriptures from Paul. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, dealing with salvation, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, a new life has begun. Takes it further in Romans 2, 29. He says, no, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. That was an extremely controversial statement from Paul to a group of Jews. And true circumcision, here it is, is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Holy Spirit. So what does salvation do? It changes our heart produced by the Holy Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks Praise from God, not from People, understand this. The Jewish ritual act of circumcision was a guarantee of salvation. That's what the Jews believed. So they believed if I I went through the act of circumcision that I would be guaranteed to be saved and be with God one day. And Paul is saying, no, 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 that's wrong. It is not the act of circumcision. It is the circumcision of your heart. It is cutting away the false exterior things and living from a place of a redeemed and saved heart in other words salvation cuts away the false identities of our heart what should salvation do it should cause me to live not from the outside not from the 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 garments that i wear or the outside acts that i do it should cause me to live from a transformed inside my orthopathy is now that I have been saved I am being saved and I will be saved in my future and it transforms me from not trying to live for the praises of people but for the praises of God it has changed my heart it has cut away the false identities of the world and it has redeemed me to live from the place that God has called me to be I have a friend who um Man, 18 to, I don't know, 23, 24, he went nuts. I'm talking partying, meth, waking up on people's couches, wrecking cars, destroying his life. He was just an absolute mess and during that time, uh, his exterior expression was tattoos and he had some really dark tattoos. He, I'm talking his entire, both his arms were filled in sleeves and these were not like, Hey, here's creation and here's Jesus. Right? Like this was like really dark, really bad tattoos, honestly. And, and look, I don't have a problem with tattoos. I have two and it has nine. If you've got a problem with them, I'm way more spiritual than her. Right? <laughs> she's, she's the center of us when it comes to tattoos. Um, <clears throat> But these were really rough tattoos, right? And so he gets radically saved. And when he gets radically saved, he goes, he finishes his degree, he gets a degree in finance, and he starts trying to apply for jobs. And as he's applying for jobs, I mean, he's got these tattoos. You can see he was wearing long sleeves and trying to wear a collar and just trying to cover everything up, right? Because he he felt bad about it and he he was trying to get a job in finance. He told me, he said, it's hard getting a job in finance when you look like a bank robber said, it's really, really tough, man. He's like, dude, I I just can't figure it out, right? So he's got all these these coverings on and he's trying, he's going to these interviews and nothing's landing for him. He's really upset. And he said, man, I kid you not, the spirit of God spoke to me. Quit covering up who you are. Quit covering up who you are. And he's like, okay. So he wears a polo to a job interview with a big finance company. And he shows up there. I mean, his tattoos are everywhere. And he said, the countenance of the room is changed. He said, "I walked in there. I said they saw me walk in and they were like This ought to be interesting." And and one person, to their credit, had the boldness to say, "Hey, it, it, explain to me the tattoos." And my friend said I looked at them, and I said, "There was a time in my life where I was a wreck, and I was rebellious." and I was troublesome and all I did to try to cope with the pain was put it on the outside of me. And I thought for some reason getting a tattoo of the disaster that I had would somehow help me cope. He said, all, all of this is just me trying to cope with the, the wreck that my life was. He said, and then Jesus changed me here. And he said, when I got changed here, I didn't need any of this anymore. And the the head of the, the hiring department with the company said, how can I not give you a job? He said, how can I not support another believer who's been changed. You see, when we live from our exterior and we try to live from all of these things, these shells, these coverings, these things that we put up, we're not living out of who God has created us to be. But the second he said, "I'm going to quit covering myself up and I'm going to live from who God has called me to be," it opened doors for him. He became in 2 years their number 1 producer. He is he is rolling now. And nobody care about his tattoos now when he's the, he's the leader of the company, right? But It's an illustration for us to see we don't live from an exterior when we've been saved. We live from here. We live from here and we seek the praises of God from here. It's our orthopathy. Salvation has changed our heart to live for the praises of God from who he's called us to be. And here is our orthopraxy. It's the right actions. I love this. Follow me here. This is one of my favorite pieces that we're going to walk through. All right. The Old Testament, I'm gonna take you from old to new and I'm gonna walk you through a reoccurring theme. You'll catch this if you've read through scripture. The Old Testament talks about the way, right? The way of obedience and the way of disobedience, the way of righteousness and the way of the ungodly. You hear over and over and over God say, if you will obey my commands and follow my decrees, I will give you the land that you've hoped for. But then what does he say? But if you do not obey my decrees and you do not follow my commands, you will find desolation and it will be really, really bad for you, right? Allah children of Israel, all throughout the Pentateuch and on, right? There was just, there was this known way of choosing one of two ways. I choose the way of obedience, or I choose the way of disobedience. And then we get to the New Testament and the entry of John the Baptist. And here is the ministry of John the Baptist. Mark 1, verse 3, John the Baptist says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him. So they knew of a way, the way of obedience or the way of disobedience. John comes and he says, there will be the way that will show up. And when you experience the way, you'll know what you're supposed to do. John 14, verse six, Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Okay, so where are we at right now? There was a way of either obedience or disobedience. John comes and says there will be the way, prepare for it. Jesus comes and he says, I am the way and nobody gets to the Father except through me. Okay, now let's catch a picture of Jesus' followers. Paul was a persecutor of Christians before he became a follower of Jesus. In Acts 9, verse 2, he recounts his persecution. Here's what he says. And asked him for letters to the synagogue of Damascus so that he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He recounts again his persecution of the church and listen to what he says. Acts 22, verse 4. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Now Paul is a follower of Jesus, and he's ministering in Ephesus, and look at what the pushback he is getting while he's ministering in Ephesus. Acts 19, verse 9. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had, dis- and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Verse 19, or Acts 19, verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. You, you see something, right? There was a way. It was the way of obedience or the way of disobedience. John the Baptist comes and he says, the way is coming. Prepare for the way. Jesus comes and Jesus says, I am the way. No one gets to the Father except through me. And then followers of Jesus started living the way. In other words, salvation changes the way you live. Salvation changes the way I live. I no longer live the way of the world. I no longer live the way of my friends. I no longer live the way of my favorite Instagram follower. I no longer live the way of what people tell me. I live the way of Jesus. Do you see the transition that happens? The people who were followers of Jesus in the early church were instantly identified as what? The way. Paul was saying, if you're part of the way, and I see you as part of the way, I'm arresting you. Then Paul became a follower and he got pushed back because he aligned with the way. We live a different way. I I told you guys about uh, what what happened with the stock tank pool and Zadok falling into it. What I didn't tell you was Anna's reaction. (laughs) Man, I'll tell you this now. like Anytime the back door opens, it is a full-blown call to Coast Guard, man. It is like literally the back door opens, Zadok goes out there and she is like, we got to have flotation devices on everyone. That includes you, Luke. And now we've got to have eyes on all the kids, no phones, no anything. Where is, I mean, it is like this mad. we got fence to the, fence the stock tank pool. I'm like, what? She's like, yes, we got to have a fence for it. We got to have a gate. We got to have a locking gate, a kid proof locking gate around the fence. I already found one on Amazon. I'm going to order it. Like no, please don't. Right? We'll figure this out. Right? For for me, I um in in early 2020, February 2020, I totaled my truck. And when that happened, uh, I was coming up to a four-way stop and I had stopped at the four-way and then I started to go and a guy blew past the the stop sign. He didn't realize it was a four-way and he T-boned my truck and smashed in the front of my truck. Um, Worst wreck that I've I've ever been in. I was was really shook up. Like I said, my truck was totaled. Um, Anna drove by at the time. She happened to see my truck crash before she saw me. That was traumatic, right? Um, And so now, several years later that four-way stop is less than a mile away from my house and every time I pull up to that four-way stop I want to tell you I approach it differently I stop I look I inch forward a little bit because there's a big tree right there. And I, I look a little more and my actions have changed because of something that happened to me. Anna's actions in our backyard have changed because of something that happened. When we talk about salvation, the way we live changes because something within us changes. Right? So we put this all together. What do I believe about salvation? My orthodoxy is this that I have been justified, I am free from the penalty of my sin in my past, I am sanctified, I am walking through, growing in power to overcome sin. And in my future, I will be glorified with Christ and be with him. So what does that do to me? It cuts away all the callous, the lies, and the false identities of my heart so that I can live the way. That is our theology of salvation.